Hello, beautiful community members. Thank you for listening and welcome to Generational Archives, the show where we connect, heal, uncover through intergenerational conversations and archival research. I'm Reina J. Leon, your scholar, creative, intuitive researcher, and I'm with my mother, who is my co-host. And mommy, how would you like to introduce yourself? Well, my name is Dr. Norma Thomas, and as Raina said, I am half of the mother-daughter duo, and we'll talk a little bit more about how we both got into doing this kind of research. So we are a mother-daughter team who have been collaborating with one another on projects for decades, my whole life, in fact, as writers, editors, facilitators, dreamers, scholars, and more. In this first episode, we will be talking about Uncle Francis and this idea of the generational talent, specifically in music and poetry, music, poetry, performance, what we can uncover from his life. In our work, we hope you, we will also help you if you are reaching back to discover more about your ancestors, that the methods we use may help you along your way, and if anything, we're pretty entertaining, so <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun to listen, hopefully, to the story. Um, so let's talk a little bit for, uh, first about how we began our journeys with archival and genealogical research. So, Mommy, how did this journey begin? Well, this journey began because I wanted to learn more specifically about my father's side of the family and that history in around Uniontown, Pennsylvania, which is in the Appalachian region of Pennsylvania. So I wanted to learn more about family and that has since expanded into learning more about black history in the region because my family has been in that region since the 1700s and it was slowly peeling back that onion about what it, um, the history of my family. And so that's how my journey began. How did yours begin, Raina? So with obsession. Um, so I grew up, as you know, being in all of these spaces and with you and listening to our elders tell stories, oftentimes sharing some colorful phrasing along the way. Um, and so for me, it was growing up listening to stories. And I think that that influenced me deeply in work, um, particularly poetic work that I later did. And then I, I don't know why with, with my son, it wasn't as deep, but with my daughter, for some reason, as I was carrying her, became super obsessed with doing genealogical research. And on her, on her dad's side, so looking at, Italian records, um, my husband, of course, as you know, being from Italy, and then looking at our different sides of our family, because you've done a lot of great research on Fayette County and the black history of Fayette County, in which our family is so integral. And then there's also the side of our family from South Carolina, which is fascinating to me, because, you know, and, and you were born in the South, and Grandma moved to um, Uniontown to 
uh, Fayette County in uh, Pennsylvania in the 50s. And before that, there's like 200 years of all this branching history that is fascinating to me that you had started upon but not really explored very deeply. So like all these, there are all these possibilities. And I've been really interested too in pushing back against the erasure of um, our black history of blackness on my father's side as well um, because of, of course his family is uh, coming from Puerto Rico. So tracing race, tracing story, tracing um, our family, uncovering names, it's just incredibly interesting to me and I think offers such great wisdom to us now. And one of the things I would say to listeners is to begin this journey early because I yeah. wish that, you know, Raina talks about listening to the stories and the stories were always there, but documenting those stories was not always an interest until my father died. And I think that is what was the impetus for starting the actual documentation of the history and the stories. And so I always wished that I had had an interest in putting the documentation together, I always listened to the stories. So I often have been the keeper of the stories that people have forgotten or just didn't know. But in terms of putting that actual documentation together, I don't believe I, I started that mm -hmm. until after he died. And there was a lot of paper records that when we were going through his um, belongings and, and putting, you know, disposing of things, for want of a better word, that there are things that I threw away at the time that I wish I had not thrown away because I'm generally not seen as being a keeper, <laughs> but now I'm a keeper of anything that has anything to do with family history, but I wasn't then and then developed this interest in going backwards to find out more. His family seemed to be easier to go back and research than my mother's family, because it was very clear that her family, they, they were the descendants of slaves. And it was always talked about my dad's family being descended of free people. And so, at least in the beginning, it was easier to start that journey on his side of the family. But I would say to all of you, talk to family members, talk to grandparents, older relatives now while, while they're here to get as much information as you can because the written record is just as important as the oral mm -hmm. record. And the written record can hopefully um, verify some of that, that oral history. But they're both equally as important. So start now. <laughs> Well, and I think that that's actually really important to emphasize that the oral history is all is equally important to the documented history because they do support one another. And there are things within the oral histories that folks will um, will find cemented within the within documentation, but also may never see there for whatever reasons. Um, and there are many, um, but oral history should not be discounted. Um, and sometimes that oral history, tracing enough of it um, down, you will find documents or records, or that will lead you to another story or another person, another opportunity. 
Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about our South Carolina adventures eventually um, of going to Saluda and ending up at a funeral home and that opening up so many more stories. But that's for another um, episode, I think. Um, but this one, we wanted to focus in on Uncle Francis. Now, a little bit about Uncle Francis um, and why we want to focus on him. So I have seen these two beautiful photographs of him, one in a choir and one in a, um, of him as a piano. He died very young, and we'll talk a little bit about the records around that in just a moment. But I um, did this digital collage uh, a few months back, which blends um, him at the piano with my daughter at a keyboard. And she's like not even two at the time. And, you know, Mateo, my husband, is like all about these um, uh, making uh, synthesizer music. And so there are all these cables everywhere and a little keyboard and everything. And she's got her he headphones on that are like uh, half of her head, right? And she's just so focused and seems like she knows exactly what she's doing. And there's such joy. So there's this blending of this image of her and butterflies and, and color um, overlapping of Francis. And I, and I was thinking about this um, legacy of musical engagement with him, but also with his mother, my great-grandmother, your grandmother, who, um, you know, with his sisters... Um, or sister, Aunt Clyde May, having performed on street corners and um, at the Apollo, so the story goes. And so all of these things. Yeah, her, her uh, stage name was Princess Olga at the Apollo Theater. Now, I've not been able to find a record of her at the Apollo, but her sister was actually a, a well-known entertainer at the Apollo, my, my uh, Aunt Doris. So... There is this whole creative legacy in this family. But we have this picture with him in a choir, mm -hmm. and we have this picture of him at um, what my uncle just described as being in a tuxedo, oh, I at, which I didn't yeah. really notice that it was a tuxedo yeah. that and a, and a concert um, level piano. Yeah. And we have been told that he was a poet, but none of that poetry survived. And since my daughter and I both are poets, then that also sparks this whole discussion about legacy and transference of creativity and, and that we are the, the, the product, I guess, of, of creativity. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to find out as much as we can about his life because he did not live very long. No, I, I think that's important to go to the first record that we can look at is his death record. So his death record says that he was born in 1921. Wrong! It's wrong. Um, and that he died at 25. Um, and he died in um, Phoenix, Arizona. He had only been there for two weeks um, because he died in 1947 important information about um, 1947 was that there was a huge epidemic of tuberculosis that was impacting people all over the place and um, took several of my family members, actually a huge swath of the population in Uniontown in 1947. You can see all of these grave markers from that period. He as well, as well was impacted and he was married um, and not for very long, we think. Um, his wife was significantly older 
very interesting too for the time period 1947 his wife was 35 um and it lists him as 25 at the time 10 year difference okay all right audrey c what's going on with you what was that um and it's interesting that the information on her is just starting to uncover it's again being covered it's like this onion that you start to peel back and we are starting just to find out a little bit of information on her well and that death record is really interesting because um, we learned, uh, talked about from family story that it was her idea to move to Phoenix for his health. He had TB, um, at the time it was perceived that, it, that the drier air would be better for his lungs. So they're there for a very short time. Unfortunately, he expires. He doesn't get better. Um, but it was her idea that they moved there in that death record. Most likely the reporting on it is from her, um, so we know, at least for me, I, I'm more confident that her age is correct, um, that their address is correct. So it lists where they live, uh, lived in New Jersey, which, cool, Google Maps, right? I could see where they lived now. So obviously not the same building. It's actually the building is gone. But <laughs> I could see the buildings across the street, which probably were in existence at the time. And that's interesting to note because when my daughter said she went to Google Maps to look up that address, I was just floored because, of course, I had not even thought about the fact that you could now go to Google Maps and look at these different addresses that are listed in census data and various Mm -hmm. documents that you can actually see, perhaps, where they lived if the building still exists, or you could at least get a feel for the area where they lived. So that's something new that the technology has allowed us to garner from these records. Yeah, I'm actually kind of interested in looking at archival photographs. Sometimes Library of Congress, for example, has collections of um, photographs of, of communities. Wouldn't be that addressed specifically, but at least to give me a sense of how they lived when they lived together. Um, but that aside, um, learned later. So this this piece of him being born in 1921 is also really interesting because I, I've never found his birth record. I've only ever seen his death record. And that age of 1921 is significant because it makes it, um, it allows for us to, to understand the ages of my great-grandparents. And then the story became spicy, but it's actually not as spicy. I thought that they had gotten together like really, really young. Like he was 16 or like 15 and she was 16. And um, the story is that he, she had a a sledding accident, my great grandmother. And um, my great grandfather felt responsible because she couldn't go back to school. She was going to college at the time. And so he married her. That don't make sense, right? Like, okay, sledding accident. She was pregnant. She was pregnant. Yeah, she was <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> so, but in the story, it, like looking at this death record, it makes him much younger. It makes the story happen when he's like 15, she's 16, um, and shotgun wedding kind of scenario. The truth is actually a little bit later. So now it's, 1718 and um, 19 around there that they um, get married and it makes more sense as to because we can never figure out how it was the story of my great-grandmother not being able to return to college 
especially considering how young, based on the age of Uncle Francis, she would have been. So his wife had it wrong on the death record. Mentioning all that because death records in particular are complicated pieces of information. It, it really relies on the person filling it out, and they might not have all the correct information. Yeah, so even when you get quote-unquote official records, it doesn't mean that you cannot question them. Right. For example, I know that my mother's death certificate, my father completed it, mm. and he has her mother right, but not her father. And so there is a death certificate that is wrong. And I've seen countless death certificates in particular that are wrong, which is why oral history and looking at other documentation is, is so important. Just don't take these official records as gospel truth because often they are not. Well, and, and thinking more about like how we can flesh out the story with oral history, sometimes you also meet with the impediment, right? Mommy, you just talked to um, Uncle Jim Pete. Um, who was my Uncle Francis's brother. Interesting about this was that my Uncle Jim Pete was the menopause baby. Yes, he was. My grandmother would have been pregnant with him when my Uncle Francis died. And he was born the same year that my Uncle Francis died. And so there's always that talk about, you know, relatives going in and relatives going out. And so my uncle was, was born when a whole lot of my relatives died that same year, as Raina said, from the tuberculosis outbreak. And he was born, I believe, in July of 1947. So my grandmother would have been pregnant with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, not very pregnant. Would not have, like, you know, really early in the pregnancy, but still um, pregnant with um, her last child. And even the story of like, she's in her early 40s or so. And like, I thinking, oh, I guess this is menopause. Not, not, there's a baby on the way. Um, and at the same time, we were just talking to our um, uh, Uncle Jim Pete. Um, and him, my mom was asking questions about Uncle Francis. This was his brother, right? Died the same year that he was born. You would think that um, there might be some stories that he would have heard along the way. And he didn't have anything. He, he... Yeah, what's interesting is he always says, I know more about his brother than he knew about his brother. Yeah. The fact that he was a musician, he only picks up from the pictures that, or the picture that exists. Uh, I don't know who told me he was a poet, but somebody, either his sister, my Aunt Clyda, or my grandmother told me that he was a poet, but none of the poetry exists. We were, we now have a lead to go back and look at yearbook photos because of where the, the high school in, in the Uniontown area that he might have attended. So maybe there are other photos of him in yearbooks. My uncle thought he graduated from high school. I was always told that he did not. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to see whether we can verify that story. So again, it, it points to the fact that it's great to talk to people who are about our relatives while they're still here. And to, because all the documentation, um, may not be able to put a full story together, but with the ad, the increased access to many things, like my, my uncle did not know that he had a funeral service 
in Uniontown, that he was brought back to the place where he grew up and that he was buried probably in the Thomas Cemetery. My uncle always thought he was buried in Arizona. But there is, we found the newspaper.com obituary where he was funeralized, when he was funeralized, and where he was buried. So they did make the effort to bring him back from Arizona to have him buried in the Thomas Cemetery. Unfortunately, there is no marker that marks where he exists in the Thomas Cemetery, but we know he is there. Well, and then the other part of that story, too, is you talking to one of my cousins and sa- who her sister also died in that same epidemic, that same TB epidemic, um, and died a few months after our Uncle Francis, and according to her, was buried with him. So she would have been a baby, a, a little bit over a year old, and um, died um, New Year's Eve of that year and was buried just a few days later. And I was talking to to you, Mommy, about like, okay, um, this is probably a new grave, a family grave. It's the winter in the 1940, 47, 48. And um, thinking about like opening a grave to receive a child rather than a, a huge separate burial space. It makes sense. But as far as like them noting where, we don't know that information yet. Um, and I and I want to you know emphasize yet because it's only I, I think sometimes when when we start to say the names over and over again something emerges so I don't know the timing of when our cousin posted that on like the family um, uh, listserv that's space on Facebook but I wonder if that corresponds to us starting to talk about Uncle Francis. Hmm. You you never know, and the more we talk about Uncle Francis, then we start to uncover information about the person who was his wife, who yeah. looks like she never remarried, and she died very old, and it's kind of sad that we never knew her, and somehow the family lost contact with her, but if it's the person that we've discovered, then she lived to be in her 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even thinking about like what can be revealed around the, the obituary, because you were able to find through um, newspapers.com the obituary for Uncle Francis that lists her um, with her married name, but, we, but that allows us to understand what her first and middle name is, which is significant. We already had that from the death record, so that's a confirmation right there that, um, of his wife's name. And that can lead us into possibly identifying her as this elder who passed in her um, 90s. The other thing that um, records allow for us to do is like census records. So um, looking at the 1930 to 1940 census records um, is really interesting to me because the 1930 um, census says that he was six at the time. And also census records say where a person is born. It says Pennsylvania. That's wrong. It's a lie. <laughs> um, and interesting because that that fact of where he was born also ties into how he was born, right? The timing of it. I don't know if my great-grandmother had him first and then she got married. But anyway, she had him in New York, in Buffalo, New York. 
but in the 1930 census, he's listed as being born in Pennsylvania. In the 1940 census, he's listed as being born in Pennsylvania. It's his draft card that actually lists where he was born that confirms the family story of him having been born in New York. And that is also confirmed by his death record. The same place as his draft card is also listed on his draft um, um, on his death record of having been born in Buffalo. Um, yeah. Well, the even further interesting story with him is I always thought that my his sister, my Aunt Clyda, was the oldest. Mm. So all my life I thought she was the oldest. And then one day she said to me, no, her brother Francis was the oldest. And I said he was. And she said, yes, one day I didn't have an older brother, yeah. and then I had an older brother. <laughs> so she, I, I don't know the story about when he showed up, <laughs> and she discovered she had this oldest older brother, but it's clear that he was born in New York, he stayed in New York, and at some point was reunited with the rest of his family. And so that's not an unusual story that I've heard in many other families, that there's now all of a sudden this person um, that they didn't know existed, that now she had this older brother named Francis. So again, that's another interesting wrinkle in the story, that you talk to relatives, you put all these different stories together, and it makes for intrigue. I always tell families that often they keep secrets and they don't want these secrets to come out but secrets will come out whether it comes out while you're still living or when you're not here so you might as well tell the story because it is just part of the family story it's part of the history and it should be part of that revelation but often families don't want to talk about these stories but yes my uncle francis was born in new york and that may be the next thing we try to get hold of. It's a little more difficult now to get some of the records. It's easier to get death certificates, but birth certificates are starting to be a little harder because of identity theft. And you have to make a, a case for why you would need that birth certificate and that you're a family member and that this person is actually deceased. And But it's not impossible. So we may be able to get his birth certificate out of New York and see what that reveals. Well, and these things around records also offer questions. So um, the idea that Maya Clyda, Clyda May, um, thought that she was oldest and then an older brother appears. And in the 1930 census, he's listed with my great-grandparents at six years old. And so somewhere between birth and six years, he returns to Uniontown. Um, and census records, too, of, um, or rather death records. So my grandfather um, would have been 16 in 1947 when my Uncle Francis died. Um, and that was the year, too, that he was pulled out of school. We were talking about there being several reasons or one specific reason um, as to why he was pulled out of school by my great-grandfather at 10th grade. And I wonder if there was something, too, around grieving, around um, difficulties in school because his brother had died when he was um, 16. Actually, he was 17. Yeah. Because your grandfather was born in 1930. So he was 17. 
Oh, yeah. So he would have been 17. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that timing of like my brother is sick. My brother has died. I've been pulled out of school. The reason I was pulled out of school was because of what flirting with a white girl, if I remember correctly. Well, I don't think they were flirting. He was talking to a white girl in class. And for whatever reason, he was punished. I don't know if he was talking when he wasn't supposed to talk. That part of the story, I don't know. But he was paddled by the teacher. And so when my grandfather, who you had to know my grandfather, was not going to take He would not be a person you want to tangle with, let's put it that way. So when my grandfather heard, he went to the school and raised our ruckus, to say the least. And my father either didn't go back because he was embarrassed or he just decided that he had had enough. And as a sophomore, he, he left school. He never went back. And my my uncle, who again was born in 1947, so my father would have been um, 17. There was a 17-year age gap between them. He thought that my uncle Francis had graduated from high school. There wasn't a 17-year age gap. There was like a six or seven-year age gap. Age gap. Age gap. He was around 16, 17 in um, 1947. Well, I'm talking about the age gap between my dad and my my uncle Jim Pete. That's right. That's, that's right. 17 years that's right. between the two of them. But but um, uh, my uncle thought that my uncle Francis had graduated high school. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see. We can now look at yearbooks online, and if we can find some of the right yearbooks, we might be able to find not only pictures of him but also some further information about him in the high school yearbooks to see whether he did actually graduate high school. It's my understanding he did not, that my my uncle, his youngest brother, was the only one to graduate. But who knows? We might find a different story. So some advice for those who are exploring. Um, and one lesson before the advice, I think, is um, around... Uncle Francis and the um, exploration of joy and creativity. And, and we are really interested in knowing more about his life, right? Um, knowing more about what he was inspired by, what drove him to meet his partner, to move to New Jersey, to have, um, I wonder if he had a life within the arts as well. Um, we can't know that yet, but perhaps soon perhaps soon, if we ask enough questions. For those who are um, listening, you may have also heard uh, some techniques that we've used around exploring census records, thinking about connection with personal story, um, birth records we don't have, but uh, death records, possibility of looking at yearbook um, information. What else, uh, other techniques? Well, we... We looked at obituaries. I went to the one obituary that was on the website of a funeral home. We were able to access information through newspapers.com. We Google Maps was one that mm-hmm. I had not thought of before. And again, talking to people about stories. Unfortunately, with the aunt that I talked about, I started to gather stories from her when she was also beginning uh, Alzheimer's disease. And so 
luckily she had some memories of the past, but even that adventure I started too late. So I would say you want to, again, start those, collecting those oral histories as soon as you can, because people, if you get them in the right space, they want to talk about what the past was. Sometimes the past can be trauma, Mm -hmm. And so people may not want to talk about it, but start with asking them about the joys from their past. And maybe through talking about the joy, you will also talk about the other areas of their life that also makes us who we are. Mm -hmm. And so asking people about their stories, I, I think... I know I did a recording of my uncle Jim Pete, and he said that I had asked him some tough questions that he had never thought about, but he answered them anyway. And so it's it's great to get these stories as much as we can while while people are still here. And that is our podcast episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. This is generational. And with Dr. Rada Leone and Dr. Norma Thomas, we are a mother-daughter team welcoming you into our memories, our ancestral genealogical journeys, and hoping that that invitation also leads to your healing, your journey, your creative practice. Thanks for listening. Hello, beautiful community members. Thank you for listening and welcome to Generational Archives, the show where we connect, heal, uncover through intergenerational conversations and archival research.